Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. Last week, in our version and journey through the Psalms, as we took a look at one specific Psalm, which was just on the fringes of being a psalm of lament, Psalm 73. Uh, I was uh, talking with my buddy Gunner afterwards. He says, hey, James, you ought to listen to this podcast. And so in the afternoon and later in the evening, I plugged in this Malcolm Gladwell podcast. It was great. And he was talking about our nation, and he likes to look at little slivers of our history and society that are often overlooked, things that we don't really know are behind the scenes that are fueling certain things. And uh, it was a great podcast. I like Malcolm anyway. Way and his writings and such. And it was fascinating because what he did was he contrasted uh, uh, two types of music, uh, rock music and country music. Now, I'll state up front that you know my opinion of that, that the idea of country music is an oxymoron in and of itself. Um, but I, I do confess I love old country. I was raised on Hank Sr. and Patsy Cline and Tammy Wynette and George Jones, all stuff. I like that stuff. Johnny Cash, you just, you know, Buck Owens, Merle Haggard. That moves me. Okay, I love that stuff. I don't know what happened to country music in the 80s, but it's not country music anymore. Um, but, but he talked about this and he said, you know, that there's, a, a, there's really a divide in our nation. And it's not really on political grounds or religious grounds. or It's on uh, musical styles. But here's, here's something that we don't often think about. He took a look at the top 50 songs uh, of all time in rock and roll history based on Billboard's uh, top list. And he looked at all 50 songs and uh, they were all positive, heartfelt, emotional, happy type songs. Uh, number 50 being Tutti Frutti. Oh, Rudy. And, um, all, you know, all the way through uh, you, these songs, uh, you know, about passion and heart and love and romance, all stuff. And, and, you know, in and of themselves, they're good. But there wasn't a, a negative one in the bunch. Um, the, the saddest one would have been Wild Horses. I love that song uh, by the Stones. But even then, in the, the tragedy of whatever happened, you don't know it was so generic. It's just kind of sad, but you don't get it. But then he took a look at the 50 country songs of all time. And he realized that amongst those songs are pain of suffering and sorrow and sadness and D-I-V-O-R-C-E and all of the difficulties of life. And as through this podcast, Gladwell was talking about the fact that, um, you know, we love happy songs. We love exciting songs. I mean, we, we even heard a song years ago, sad songs say so much, but that wasn't even a sad song. That was a happy song. You know, we love to, I love to listen to Farrell, you know, happy everything, you know, because I'm happy. All stuff. That's great. I enjoy that. I love smiling. I love positive. I love that momentum. I love being lifted out of the pit. And so that's the good, that's the heart of, you know, America, good old rock and roll and what it does and everything. Uh, but, but the honest truth is we don't really live there. We live more over on the countryside. 
We live on the side where life is painful at times. Life is broken. Life is sad. Life is filled with misery. Life is filled with unanswerable issues that we just don't know what to do with. And so he took a look at the top 50 songs of country, the top 50 songs of rock and roll. He looked at the authors of those songs and figured out where they were from. And there was a lot you could learn about that, about the core of America and where the songs come from. And then he took a look at the actual words, ran them through a computer of all the top 50 songs and the words and of country and rock and uh, of of rock music, 60% of the songs were just the same song, uh, same words. You know, 50, 60% of the words were just repetitive type words. And yet on, on the countryside, not as much. And then one of the questions that came in the article, in the interview, as he was interviewing one of the authors of uh, some of the greatest country songs, uh, more than a dozen top 10 hits, an author that's been writing for over 50 years. Uh, you know, where, where does the inspiration come for this, this pain and misery? And it's life. That's where the inspiration comes. And and he talks about this where he was walking. The author was walking along to a supermarket and he overheard a guy leaning against a car talking about the sadness in his life. And he was telling this older gal in the car about he just found out his wife had been is being unfaithful to him and the pain and the brokenness of that. And the lady, you know, ends up being his, his mom. And so he's listening to the story and he hears it. And she says, why don't you go in and get some whiskey and we'll go home and drink our sorrows, you know, down. And then come to find out that she's filled with sorrows because she's dying cancer and the guy says you know a rock and roll person would never write that song (laughs) but that's a country song (laughs) that is a country song waiting to happen that life is broken and fallen apart life is filled with misery and struggle and and through that the question comes up why is it that we want so desperately to be lifted up and to be encouraged and to get excited that we want to be filled with joy but yet we want to move away from sorrow That people who listen to rock music need to embrace country because it speaks in a way that rock doesn't and vice versa. And although rock may have the heart of America, country has the soul. And there's something about songs of the soul, songs that speak deep into our life, that allow us to communicate our own human experience and our own journey and our own questions. I watched the Pixar movie, Inside Out. I don't know if you saw it. It's an amazing movie. I don't think it's a kid's movie at all. It's about this little girl that's growing up, and inside of her are all the emotional people, the little creatures that push. There's anger, and there's envy, and then there's you know security, and there's sorrow, and there's joy. And joy runs the show. The console of emotions of this girl's life is all about joy, as much joy as possible. Let's keep pouring joy into this kid's life, because this kid just needs joy. But then... Through the circumstances of the movie, everything starts to crash down, just like a classic Pixar movie. goes from creation to fall to redemption to restoration, just like the Bible. And uh, so you get in this moment where Joy realizes that she doesn't want sorrow near any of the memories. That sorrow is not good. And we should just push sorrow away. In fact, she drew a circle on the ground and said, stand in that circle, everyone will be safe. If we can just get sorrow out of our life, we will be okay. Through the journey of the movie, the realization is, in a beautiful way, that sorrow is absolutely essential for us. And this young gal only processed her experience when she entered into the sorrow, into the sadness. When she entered into the deep, dark funk of life and the time when nothing makes sense. And the beauty of that movie is that we need to embrace our sorrow. We need to enter into sadness because many times it is the only way out. And if all we want is just another happy song by Farrell, that'll feel good, but it really won't help us.
You know, we need some George Jones in our life. <laughs> All right. Now, Psalms are filled with songs of sadness and sorrow. The whole category of lament, this cry, this despair, this struggle, this so desperately deep agony inside that it's going to burst if we don't get it out. That is life for you and me. The largest category of all the Psalms, there's praise and teaching and there's all kinds of Thanksgiving Psalms and whatever, but the songs of lament, it's the largest category of the Psalms. Now I would say this, that as Christians, as church people, we don't know how to enter into sorrow. I mean, individually, but mostly corporately. Because if you just scan any of the top 25 songs that are being sung in churches today, whether they're hymns or whether they're choruses, you won't find a sad one in the group. They're all praise and exuberant worship and everything is uplifting. And it's good to sing those. But the nation of Israel had a songbook filled with sadness. And they walked through that sadness. And if you read the Psalms and discover the sadness and enter into the sadness and weep through some of the passages that should cause you to weep, man, you'll have an amazing journey of spirituality. When you read a Psalm like this, the nation of Israel, they're in captivity in Babylon. They're defeated. Their God seemingly has been defeated. Their temple is destroyed and burned to the ground. And everything that they worshiped is far, far away. And they write this song, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. Our tormentors asked us mockingly to sing songs of home. And we hung up our harps because there's no song left. My friends, that is beautiful. But that is tragic. That is complete brokenness being expressed. And the Psalms of Lament are the greatest gift we have in the Psalms. If we would get out of the, I want to be happy moment, I want to be filled with joy. And we open up our soul to the reality of the pain and sorrow in our life. Because all around us, even in this room, are people struggling. And they're hurting and they're broken. And they have something that's so tragic in their life. And if all we do is stand alongside of them and sing happy songs, they'll just die inside. Because their life isn't happy right now. And you do not need to say to them, cheer up, Jesus will make it better. You need to weep with them. You need to mourn with them. You need to cry. And you need to just experience anguish with them. So the songs of lament. We started a little bit last week with Psalm 73. Today we're going to open up just a pure song of lament. Psalm 13. So grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 13. It's just six little verses. Page 491 in your chair Bible. Where David the author writes six little verses of a desperate cry for God to show up. I'll give you the preview before we get there. But in six verses, David has three themes, two verses each. And basically, he cries out. He feels abandoned by God. Then he, you know, cries out asking God to save him. And then he finally has assurance of God's trust and hope and salvation. And those are the Psalms. Those are the Psalms of lament. It's like a wave that crests up and then crashes down again. And they're beautiful. So let's take a look at this. David kind of opens up his own heart here in a very dangerous way. Tells us what's going on in his life. And I know, I know, I know we'll learn something from this. So the first part of the psalm is David's abandonment. Feeling dejected, to feel rejected by God. In Psalm 13 verses 1 and 2, this is what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, you don't have to be a Bible student to realize there's something going on here, right? This guy is in trouble. Uh, But what he's asking is, how long? Four times in two verses, he asks the question, how long? God, I've been waiting for you. I've been patient with you. I've been crying out to you and you are silent. How long? God, how long must I sit in this moment? How long must I be in this sorrow? How long will tragedy overtake me? How long? When will you show up? And I love when he asks the how long, he then describes that in beautiful words. How long will you forget me forever? Oh, David. You need to study your theology because God doesn't forget you. (laughs) Okay, it's not about your head, right? It's about your heart. He feels like God has abandoned him. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? None of us would ever be so bold to say those words. But Jesus, God himself did on the cross, right? He cried out because it felt like God had abandoned him. And you know what? He did because he was pouring your sin and my sin on him. The son of God, Jesus himself. And so he was alone in that moment. And David cries out, how long will you forget me? Are you ever that honest with God? Honest with other people? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? What a beautiful picture. The idea of God's face is something David writes often about. Now we know God is spirit and so uh, God doesn't have a face like we think about it. Although the Bible sometimes portrays God in uh, anthropomorphic terms. You know, the arm or the, you know, the feet or whatever. Uh, but, but, but God is a spirit and yet he sees him like he has this face. And David writes often about like, I want to seek your face, oh God. Meaning I want to get right in your presence. I want to, want to look you eye to eye. Um, I want to, I want to have your face shine upon me. God, turn your face toward me. And then now he says, God, why have you turned your face away from me? How long God will you forget me? How long will you walk away from me and ignore me? Then he says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my mind condemn me? How long will I just continue with these thoughts that are so discouraging and depressing to me? How long will I live in pain and sorrow? God, how long? I am tired, God. I am just so exhausted of all of this. I mean, you forgot me. You turned away from me. I'm in sorrow. I'm in pain. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, theologians, Bible commentators believe that David wrote Psalm 13 during a specific period of his life. It was a pretty long period of his life. David, as a young man, had been anointed uh, by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. But it was going to take many, 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 many years before that was going to happen. And in the meantime, David was on the run from Saul. Saul was the evil king, the the king that wanted David destroyed, killed. He tried to throw a spear at him a couple times. He ran after him. He sought him out. He sent his armies out. David grabs his friends and he goes away and he moves out in the desert. And then their families and his family, they live together and, and they're on the run. Every time Saul finds out what David is, David has to flee. Saul sends his army out and David is on the run. David is hiding. David is hiding in a cave. David is hiding in the desert. David is not in the palace where he so rightly deserves to be enjoying the favor of being the king of Israel 
He's been called to be the king. He's been anointed to be the king, but he's not the king yet. And he just cries out, God, how long until this promise shows up? How long? How long? I know you feel that at times. I feel it at times as your pastor. How long? God, I know you've said this. I know you've done this, but how long? How long before you finally show up, God? How long will I struggle with this sickness, God? How long will I struggle with this disease? How long will I struggle with depression? God, how long will I feel this despair? How long will that person hurt me? How long until you show up and you be God? Because I've seen you be that way, but you're not. And it's almost like you're gone. It's almost like you walked away from me. The idea of God's face being turned away is that I used to experience you, God. I used to bask in the glow of your beauty and I don't feel it anymore, God. How long will I just go to church and read my Bible and pray and not feel it anymore, God? How long? What a beautiful, what a beautiful question. How long? That's not just in this psalm, it's in several psalms. How long, God? For a people, the nation of Israel, that were in captivity for 70 years, that faced constant attack from enemies, the question of how long is a very relevant question. How long before we just give up hope, God? Because I know you're there, or at least I think you are, at least I thought you were, but I'm certainly not experiencing you right now. How long? And then David goes to the next part of this, not just abandoned and dejected, but he moves in the next two verses where he says he's fearful because he's defeated. He says, look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I mean, this is beautiful. Every one of us could feel this. Every one of us could experience this emotion. He cries out. He asks three things. First of all, he says, look on me. Well, he says that because God's not looking on him, right? Or that's what it feels like at least. His face has been turned away. That God stopped staring and blessing David and now is staring somewhere else. And God, I want you to turn back and look at me. It's, it's no more uh, beautifully illustrated than the picture I've seen of, of a, a little girl. It was, in a, it was in a film and she was talking to her daddy and she's talking about something. I don't know what she's telling about something. Maybe she's having a tea party. But she's talking to her dad and her dad's reading a newspaper. Meaning... He's oblivious to his kid, right? And he's reading the paper. It's like, uh-huh, yeah, that's good. Uh-huh, right. And you're like, dad's not listening. He's reading the sports section. Come on. He's reading the business section. And so this is what she does. She gets up and she crushes the paper down. And she grabs her dad's face, cheek to cheek, and she turns her dad's face toward her. Look at me, daddy. Look at me, right? Squishes it right there. It's like, God... Look at me. God, would you just look? Would you just look my way? I know you're busy. I know you're spinning the planets and keeping the atoms together, but, but there's, I know there's over 7 billion people on the planet, but could you just take a second to look at me? I really need you right now, God. Would you look at me? Look. Look at me, God. Do you really care? Because if you care, you're going to look my way. He says, an answer. I've been crying out to you, God. Would you just give me an answer? My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, God. Every day I cry out to you, but I'm not getting an answer. I need you to answer me, God. He says, give light to my eyes. Which is like, fill me back again. Fill me up with spiritual strength. Renew, restore me, God. 
I'm just so defeated right now. Do you ever feel like that? I feel like that. I've been a follower of Christ for decades. And I'll tell you this, my spiritual life goes up sometimes and it goes down. And it goes up and it goes down. And I get in the desert, I get in the wilderness, and I lose perspective. And I'm doing the motions. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying my prayers. I'm fellowshipping with other believers. I'm doing all the stuff I'm serving. But I just don't feel it inside. And I don't want to just fake it until I make it. You know what I mean? I really want to feel it again. And you cry out. It's like, how long, God? Would you just take a step in my direction? Would you turn your face to me? And now David says, or I'm going to sleep in death. Now he literally has a foe. People pressing around him. It's either Saul, we don't know, who is once again searching him out to kill him and destroy him because he's a threat to his, his Saul's kingdom, or the other enemies that are all around him. The other people that would love to just destroy him and drag his body back to Jerusalem for the reward, right? To take his head on a platter and take it to Saul and say, here, I want my money. But he has these real enemies all around him. And God, if you don't show up, I'm going to die. I am really going to die here. I am going to get tripped up into this situation. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. So how long? How long until my prayers are answered? How many more years do I have to pray for my marriage before it gets better? How many years do I have to pray for my son or my daughter that's wayward? God, I've been praying for decades. Some of you have, right? I've been praying over and over again. How long until my body is healed? How long until I don't feel this sickness and sadness and sorrow? How long and before, before this situation is taken care of? Because it's going to overwhelm me. Like a flood, I'm going to drown in this one. And man, I am trying to be faithful to you, God. But I just don't see anymore. How long? I told you my how long story last weekend with Psalm 73. It was particularly about that and how God used that psalm for me. My situation was my singleness and single all through my 20s into, you know, barely into 30s there. And it was the how long moment. God, I mean, I'm doing this stuff. God, it seems like you're not showing up on me. And, you know, and, and, and it was just the cry of my heart. How long? How long? And there were just desperate moments where it's like, I just don't know that he really cares. I hope you're so bold to speak the true words of your heart. They might sound blasphemous, but they're not. They're just true. They're just the words that are roaming around in your soul. And if you just dare speak them out, man, they could bring some healing to you. If you just dare share them with a friend, man, life might return to you. Now, David has enemies. And, you know, we struggle with that concept in uh, a month, Labor Day weekend, I'm going to talk about the Psalms of Anger, the Song of Anger. When you're like, God, just bust the teeth of my enemy, and I wish you'd just bash their babies against the wall. And it's like, that's pretty serious anger right there. But it's like, we're, we're not allowed to do that. We love Jesus. You know, yes, we do. We love Jesus. I'm not going to do that. Well, you know what? David did it. And we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what happens when we get so frustrated inside. But I think we dare not talk about enemies because we're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. We're supposed to love our enemies. But let's be frank, my friends. They're enemies of our soul. They're enemies in this world. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, the Bible says. They're enemies, people that fight us, people that want to destroy us. Some of you have experienced that. You've experienced people that want nothing but your blood. 
right? You, you know that. I, I, I know most of you. You know that. You know that they would just love to see you completely destroyed. And they would just smile. You have enemies. We have enemies. The biggest enemy, though, is the enemy of our soul, and it is Satan himself. It's the devourer. It's the deceiver, the liar, the accuser of the brothers and sisters of Jesus. We, who in the family of God, he would love to wipe us out. Uh, Peter says this, that he's like a roaring lion. He wants to devour people, wants to destroy us. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this in a great little book on spiritual depressions, its cause and cures. He says this, the devil is the adversary of our souls. Never forget that. He wants to trip you up. He can use our temperaments and our physical condition. In other words, our personalities. He can use those against us. Now, I'm by temperament, I'm a melancholy. Any melancholies in the room? Now, some of you are too sad to raise your hand. I know that because, you know, you're just a melancholy. I get it. Um, I'm a melancholy. That's just kind of how it works for me. And I, I enjoy that. I'm okay. I used to really struggle with it. But now I enjoy entering into the sad times. You know what I mean? I enjoy this. It's, it's actually it's a beautiful part of being melancholy. My oldest son, Josiah, is melancholy. And um, we were driving home from camp out uh, last weekend on a Saturday night. And uh, it was just, you know, we were all wiped out. It was a long week and everything. And it's really good. We're tired. So I put on... Uh, the head and the heart and um we're just cruising home and it was, it was a great man trip nobody talked for like an hour it was awesome it was the best trip um you just, you're just there you know what i mean you don't have to talk why talk that'll ruin the moment and um and we get home and, and josiah he's like wow that was the best trip home i go really why he goes those songs i'm like yeah wasn't that sad yeah that's so good see i'm a melancholy But I'll tell you something, if you're melancholy, sometimes the enemy grips a hold of that and he uses that against you. Any of the temperaments, he can do that. Or our physical condition, maybe you're in aching and pain and struggle. Oh, the devil will wrap himself around that if you let him. He will take your sorrow, he will take your suffering, and he will then convince you that God doesn't care. So be careful because he can take your temperament and your physical condition and use it. He so deals with us that we allow our temperament to control and govern us instead of keeping temperament where it should be kept. There is no end to the ways the devil produces spiritual depression. We must always bear him in mind. I I speak to that. I, I, I can experience that. I have experienced that. That is a reality that the devil can take your thoughts, your experiences, your temperament, your pain, your struggle, and he can convince you that that's all you're ever going to have. That's just how it is. And we look around and we go, nobody knows, nobody cares. I mean, everybody else's Facebook post is about being happy and everybody's Facebook post is about their latest trip and the breakfast that they ate and it looks gorgeous. Everybody's breakfast looks gorgeous. Mine did a camp out, pancakes with M&Ms, that's gorgeous, you know. Stuff like bacon, I had bacon, that's gorgeous. And, you know, people with their feet up and the beach beyond, it's like, oh, that's so good. And they just downloaded that from a website somewhere, so that's not them. You know, and it's like, everything looks good. We want to look good, right? We want to present the happy... And yet we look at ourselves and it's just not. Don't let the enemy wrap himself around that. Or a phrase I use with my sons, you know, get wrapped around the axle. Because we can easily get wrapped around the axle and stop everything. The devil can do that, my friends. You do have an enemy. Even if it's not a person you can physically see. It's a, a, a whole realm of demonic forces that would love to destroy you. Now, the beauty of David is he doesn't deny reality. He doesn't just, you know, ignore it. He 
headlong rushes into it. And look what he says here. This is the third part. David revived and comforted. In the midst of pain and suffering and sorrow, this is David. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. In the midst of the deepest, darkest part of his life, when everything is crashing around him, he makes a decision to stand up and to look up and to sing to God and to praise God and to be thankful. I love it. He just stands here. He says, God, I'm going to decide today to trust in your unfailing love because even though I don't feel it, I know it's true because I've experienced it before. Uh, don't be afraid of people that scoff at you if you decide to worship in the midst of pain if people look at you and go oh yeah that's just the opiate for the masses as Karl Marx said if you could just yeah that's fine you've got your religion that just helps you through your bad times I don't need that you know what you stand there in the midst of the bad times and you sing a song of praise to God that is not denying reality that is looking at the true reality which is God and he is an amazing victor and he will carry you through this my friends and sometimes you have to praise your way out of the pain you have to do that you have to do that and so that's what David does I trust I make a decision in the midst of everything I see around me to trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation I haven't felt it yet haven't seen it yet hasn't shown up yet but I'm going to hang on to the truth that is coming and I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me I hope I hope my friends that you can walk through the journey of life experiencing the suffering, experiencing the sorrow, experiencing the sadness and all that comes around that. And yet in the middle of all that, lift up your soul to God because that is where salvation is found. God shows up in the darkest places. And when he shows up, it is unbelievable salvation. And yet sometimes it's really, really dark. And the only light we can see is the light of a worship song, a praise song. And all of a sudden, we begin to sing in the midst of difficulty. We begin to sing, we begin to sing, and that brings us hope. And those songs of the soul, those spirituals just lift us up. You know, the truth is we're all broken. We are all broken. We all have a problem. We all have pain. We all have a struggle. Some of us have cancer. Some of us have depression. Some of us, nobody has even diagnosed it yet, but it's hurting us. Some of us have enemies. Some of us have wayward spouses or wayward children. Some of us are alone. Some of us have been rejected. We all have something. We're all broken people. And in the middle of all the brokenness, God is there, my friends. And I'll tell you this. I know, unless you know me, you may not believe it's true, but I'm the first in line of broken people. I know I'm your pastor and I stand up here every week. Um, But I'm broken. And when we embrace our brokenness, when we embrace our fears, when we embrace the dark moment we're in, Jesus shows up in a beautiful way. There's this uh, picture I want to close with. Last week I closed uh, the Psalm 73 story of ASAP uh, with this perspective of uh, Jesus in a boat. And the disciples were in the boat. Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm's raging around and they rush to him and they grab him and shake him and wake him. And, and they ask and make the statement, Lord, don't you care? 
And he did care and he woke up and he calmed the storm. Jesus was in the boat. Now in this story in the Gospels, Jesus is not in the boat. Jesus has fed the 5,000. He sent the disciples away to the other side of the lake. They're there. The wind is starting to rise up. The waves are starting to thrash about. They're rowing. They can't get there. Now Jesus is up on a hill. He's praying. The Bible says he looks and he sees them. And he stops praying for them and he walks on the water and he gets in the boat. And as soon as he gets in the boat, everything's okay. I love that picture. I just want to remind you that if everything's crashing around you, you have a Jesus who's praying for you. He sees you. Now, here are a couple, three thoughts just to close with. Even though you may not see Jesus, Jesus can see you. Here are the disciples. All they could see was a storm raging around them. And they were trying their hardest to keep the boat up and afloat. Our family went whitewater rafting on Friday and we're at Moppin and we're going through boxcar. Some of you have been through boxcar. Our raft goes up on its side and, you know, I'm holding on. My wife falls on top of me and there's this picture. It's great. I've got it. Water is crashing around. We're on its side. But our guide, Rabbit, um, our guide is upright and he's leaning back and because of that he's got his eyes open you see the water's hitting him but he's the only real person visible okay the rest of us are just getting crashed over with the waves he gets the boat right now it would have been fun to capsize that's a whole different journey but all of a sudden we're there and it's like wow we made it because we had a guide that knew what was going on okay he saw and he's been through that before my friends jesus sees you He's praying for you. The Bible says, Hebrews says, he makes intercession. He makes prayers for you. He lives to do that. He sees you. When you cannot get to Jesus, Jesus will come to you. They could not get to shore and Jesus walked across the water. He stops praying, gets down, walks down the hill, walks on the water, walks in the boat. And when Jesus gets into your boat, Jesus will stop the storm. He will stop the storm. Things will be calm. You might wonder, does Jesus really know? Does Jesus really care? The Bible describes it this way. Jesus has suffered. Jesus is a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief and pain and misery and betrayal and rejection and persecution. Beatings. Jesus is aware of all those things because he's gone through all of them. Reading through the Bible every year and this morning, this morning, I'm in Isaiah 40, uh, 52 and 53. And I'm reading through 52 and 53 in a couple chapters on. And this is what I read. 700 years before this happened, this is what Isaiah the prophet says. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. If you are experiencing deepest grief, you have a Jesus that knows deepest grief because he walked through all that. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. If you've experienced rejection, Jesus... The God-man Jesus experienced rejection. His own disciples rejected him, betrayed him, ran away from him, left him for dead. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole He was whipped so we could be healed. And this is why Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, Jesus has walked that dark valley. 
And he is ready not just to hold your hand, but to lift you up and carry you through it. Because he's walked through all of it. Jesus went to a cross. He died for your sins and my sins. On that moment, in those three hours of darkness, the Bible tells us, when everything grew dark around, Father God poured all of the sin that you rightly deserve to be poured on you for all eternity that you've earned and your sin is earning onto the backs of Jesus, his son. And Jesus freely received that. He did it because he loved you. And even though he looked the night before into the cup of suffering and he shuddered and he asked if there was any other way, he took a step toward the cross because he knew it was your salvation and my salvation. But it required his death. It required going to the cross, paying for your sins. And he died, my friends, because he was buried. He was in that grave for three days. He was dead. And yet he rose again, the Bible says, victorious. And he was seen by so many people that you can't deny his resurrection. The evidence is there. And Jesus rose again to tell us that even through death, Jesus has been there. And he will walk with us even through death. Because we have a savior we can cling to. I hope you have that. I hope you have the assurance of Jesus as your savior. If you don't, that's where you got to turn. Because you're not going to white knuckle your way through this one. I mean, it might work this time. It won't work next time. I love the recovery community. I fully embrace the recovery community. Because there are men and women who've walked through it. And they are beaten and broken. But they are finding healing and wholeness in the community of AA and NA. And as we do it here in Jesus, you know. Because now we can all stand there and go, yeah, we've walked that painful path. But there is hope. And we can stand up together. And you have in this room the answer. Because one day the veil will lift. The curtain will rise. I don't know when, but it will rise. And when it rises, you'll see Jesus. And if you can look around and see Jesus in the midst of the community around us, man, they will, people will carry you through it. Do not suffer alone. Come to someone today. Embrace someone today. Communicate your sorrow and sadness, your pain. Cry out how long. Why has God abandoned me? Why am I alone? Why is this enemy going to destroy me? And you will find peace because you'll find it in God's people. Let's pray. Father God, in the midst of all this suffering and sorrow, I just want to say thank you. Because like David, he prayed his way to praise. We can do that. It is not a denial of reality. It is the reality of you coming and saving us when we worship and we praise you. Because in the midst of our worship and praise, we find our hope. So God, reveal hope to us today. Show hope to us today. Be our hope today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.